0: Chapter 4, Section 6 of A Practical View of the Prevailing Religious System by William Wilberforce. Recorded by Lillis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4, Section 6 Grand Defect Neglect of the Peculiar Doctrines of Christianity. But the grand, radical defect in the practical system of these nominal Christians is their forgetfulness of all the peculiar doctrines of the religion which they profess the corruption of human nature, the atonement of the Saviour, and the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit here then we come again to the grand distinction between the religion of christ and that of the bulk of nominal christians in the present day the point is of the utmost practical importance and we would therefore trace it into its actual effects there are it is to be apprehended not a few who having been for some time hurried down the stream of dissipation in the indulgence of all their natural appetites except perhaps that they were restrained from the very gross vice by regard to character or by the yet unsubdued voice of conscience and who having all the while thought little or scarcely at all about religion living to use the emphatical language of scripture without god in the world become in some degree impressed with a sense of the infinite importance of religion A fit of sickness, perhaps, or the loss of some friend or much-loved relative, or some other stroke of adverse fortune damps their spirits, awakens them to a practical conviction of the precariousness of all human things, and turns them to seek for some more stable foundation of happiness than this world can afford. Looking into themselves ever so little, they become sensible that they must have offended God. They resolve accordingly to set about the work of reformation here it is that we shall recognize the fatal effects of the prevailing ignorance of the real nature of christianity and the general forgetfulness of its grand peculiarities these men wish to reform but they know neither the real nature of their distemper nor its true remedy they are aware indeed that they must cease to do evil and learn to do well that they must relinquish their habits of vice and attend more or less to the duties of religion but having no conception of the actual malignity of the disease under which they labour or of the perfect cure which the gospel has provided for it or of the manner in which the cure is to be effected they do but skin and film the ulcerous place while rank corruption mining all within infects unseen It often happens therefore but too naturally in this case, that where they do not soon desist from their attempt at reformation, and relapse into their old habits of sin, they take up with a partial and scanty amendment, and fondly flatter themselves that it is a thorough change. They now conceive that they have a right to take to themselves the comforts of Christianity. Not being able to raise their practice up to the standard of right, they lower their standard to their practice they sit down for life contented with their present attainments beguiled by the complacencies of their own mind and by the favourable testimony of surrounding friends and it often happens particularly where there is any degree of strictness in formal and ceremonial observances that there are no people more jealous of their character for religion others perhaps go farther than this the dread of the wrath to come has sunk deeper into their hearts, and for a while they strive with all their might to resist their evil propensities, and to walk without stumbling in the path of duty. Again and again they resolve, again and again they break their resolutions. Footnote. If anyone would read a description of this process enlivened and enforced by the powers of the most exquisite poetry, let him peruse the middle and latter part of the fifth book of Cowper's Task my warm attachment to the exquisitely natural compositions of this truly christian poet may perhaps bias my judgment but the part of the work to which i refer appears to me scarcely surpassed by anything in our language the honourable epitaph of christian may justly be assigned to a poet whose writings while they fascinate the reader by their manifestly coming from the heart breathe throughout the spirit of that character of christianity with which she was announced to the world quote, glory to god peace on earth goodwill towards men End quote. End footnote. All their endeavors are foiled, and they become more and more convinced of their own moral weakness and of the strength of their indwelling corruption. Thus groaning under the enslaving power of sin, and experiencing the futility of the utmost efforts which they can use for effecting their deliverance, they are tempted, sometimes it is to be feared they yield to the temptation, to give up all in despair, and to acquiesce under their wretched captivity, conceiving it impossible to break their chains. Sometimes probably it even happens that they are driven to seek for refuge from their disquietude in the suggestions of infidelity, and to quiet their troublesome consciences by arguments which they themselves scarcely believe at the very moment in which they suffer themselves to be lulled asleep by them. In the meantime, while this conflict has been going on, their walk is sad and comfortless, and their couch is nightly watered with tears these men are pursuing the right object but they mistake the way in which it is to be obtained the path in which they are now treading is not that which the gospel has provided for conducting them to true holiness nor will they find in it any solid peace persons under these circumstances naturally seek for religious instruction they turn over the works of our modern religionists and as well as they can collect the advice addressed to men in their situation the substance of it is at the best of this sort be sorry indeed for your sins and discontinue the practice of them but do not make yourselves so uneasy christ died for the sins of the whole world do your utmost discharge with fidelity the duties of your stations not neglecting your religious offices and fear not but that in the end all will go well and that having thus performed the conditions required on your part you will at last obtain forgiveness of our merciful creator through the merits of jesus christ and be aided where your own strength shall be insufficient by the assistance of his holy spirit Meanwhile, you cannot do better than read carefully such books of practical divinity as will instruct you in the principles of a Christian life. We are excellently furnished with works of this nature, and it is by the diligent study of them that you will gradually become a proficient in the lessons of the gospel. But the holy scriptures, and with them the Church of England, call upon those who are in the circumstances above stated to lay afresh the whole foundation of their religion, in concurrence with the scripture that church calls upon them in the first place gratefully to adore that unreserved goodness which has awakened them from the sleep of death to prostrate themselves before the cross of christ with humble penitence and deep self-abhorrence solemnly resolving to forsake all their sins but relying on the grace of god alone for power to keep their resolution thus and thus only she assures them that all their crimes will be blotted out and that they will receive from above a new living principle of holiness she produces from the word of God the ground and warrant of her counsel, quote, "Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved." End quote. Quote, "No man, says our blessed savior, cometh unto the father but by me." End quote. Quote, "I am the true vine: as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me." End quote. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. By grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Let us not be thought tedious, or be accused of running into needless repetitions in pressing this point with so much earnestness. It is, in fact, a point which can never be too much insisted on. It is the cardinal point on which the whole of Christianity turns, on which it is peculiarly proper in this place to be perfectly distinct. There have been some who have imagined that the wrath of God was to be depreciated, or his favour conciliated by austerities and penances, or even by forms and ceremonies and external observances. But all men of enlightened understandings who acknowledge the moral government of God must also acknowledge that vice must defend and virtue delight him. In short, they must, more or less, assent to the scripture declaration, Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. But the grand distinction which subsists between the true Christian and all other religionists, the class of persons in particular whom it is our object to address, is concerning the nature of this holiness, and the way in which it is to be obtained. The views entertained by the latter of the nature of holiness are of all degrees of inadequateness, and they conceive it is to be obtained by their own natural unassisted efforts or if they admit some vague indistinct notion of the assistance of the holy spirit it is unquestionably obvious on conversing with them that this does not constitute the main practical ground of their dependence but the nature of the holiness to which the desires of the true christian are directed is no other than the restoration of the image of god and as to the manner of acquiring it disclaiming with indignation every idea of attaining it by his own strength All his hopes of possessing it rest altogether on the divine assurances of the operation of the Holy Spirit in those who cordially embrace the gospel of Christ. He knows, therefore, that this holiness is not to precede his reconciliation to God and be its cause, but to follow it and be its effect, that, in short, it is by faith in Christ only that he is to be justified in the sight of God. Footnote. Here again let it be remarked that faith, where genuine, always supposes repentance, abhorrence of sin, etc., End footnote. to be delivered from the condition of a child of wrath and a slave of satan to be adopted into the family of god to become an heir of god and a joint heir with christ entitled to all the privileges which belong to this high relation here to the spirit of grace and a partial renewal after the image of his creator hereafter to the more perfect possession of the divine likeness and an inheritance of eternal glory and as it is in this way that in obedience to the dictates of the gospel the true christian must originally become possessed of the vital spirit and living principle of universal holiness so in order to grow in grace he must also study in the same school finding in the consideration of the peculiar doctrines of the gospel and in the contemplation of the life and character and sufferings of our blessed saviour the elements of all practical wisdom and an inexhaustible storehouse of instructions and motives no otherwise to be so well supplied from the neglect of these peculiar doctrines arise the main practical errors of the bulk of professed Christians. These gigantic truths retained in view would put to shame the littleness of their dwarfish morality. It would be impossible for them to make these harmonize with their low conceptions of the wretchedness and danger of their natural state which is represented in Scripture as having so powerfully called forth the compassion of God that He sent His only begotten Son to rescue us. Where now are their low conceptions of the worth of the soul when means like these were taken to redeem it? Where now their inadequate conceptions of the guilt of sin for which in the divine counsels it seemed requisite that an atonement no less costly should be made than that of the blood of the only-begotten Son of God? How can they reconcile their low standard of Christian practice with the representation of our being quote, temples of the Holy Ghost? End quote? their cold sense of obligation and scanty grudged returns of service with the glowing gratitude of those who having been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of god's dear son may well conceive that the labours of a whole life will be but an imperfect expression of their thankfulness the peculiar doctrines of the gospel being once admitted the conclusions which have now been suggested are clear and obvious deductions of reason But our neglect of these important truths is still less pardonable because they are distinctly and repeatedly applied in scripture to the very purposes in question and the whole superstructure of christian morals is grounded on their deep and ample basis sometimes these truths are represented in scripture generally as furnishing christians with a vigorous and ever-present principle of universal obedience and our slowness in learning the lessons of heavenly wisdom is still further stimulated by almost every particular christian duty being occasionally traced to them as its proper source they are everywhere represented as warming the hearts of the people of god on earth with continual admiration and thankfulness and love and joy as triumphing over the attack of the last great enemy and as calling forth afresh in heaven the ardent effusions of their unexhausted gratitude if then we would indeed be filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding if we would walk worthy of the lord unto all well-pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god here let us fix our eyes laying aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of god End quote. hebrews twelve verses one and two here best we may learn the infinite importance of christianity how little it can deserve to be treated in that slight and superficial way, in which it is these days regarded by the bulk of nominal Christians who are apt to think it may be enough, and almost equally pleasing to God, to be religious in any way and upon any system. What exquisite folly it must be to risk the soul on such a venture, in direct contradiction to the dictates of reason and the express declaration of the word of God! Quote, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? End quote looking unto jesus here we shall best learn the duty and reasonableness of an absolute and unconditional surrender of soul and body to the will and service of god quote, we are not our own for we are bought with a price End quote and must therefore make it our grand concern to quote, glorify god with our bodies and our spirits which are god's End quote should we be base enough even if we could do it with safety to make any reserves in our returns of service to that gracious saviour who quote, gave himself up for us if we have formerly talked of compounding by the performance of some commands for the breach of others can we now bear the mention of a composition of duties or of retaining to ourselves the right of practising little sins the very suggestion of such an idea fills us with indignation and shame if our hearts be not dead to every sense of gratitude looking unto jesus here we find displayed in the most lively colours the guilt of sin and how hateful it must be to the perfect holiness of that being quote, who is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity end quote. When we see that, rather than sin should go unpunished, God spared not his own son, but was pleased to bruise and put him to grief, for our sakes, how vainly must impenitent sinners flatter themselves with the hope of escaping the vengeance of heaven, and buoy themselves up with I know not what desperate dreams of the divine benignity. Footnote it has been well remarked that the word used where it is said that god quote, was pleased to bruise end quote, and to put to grief his only son for us is the same word that wherein it was declared by a voice from heaven quote, this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased end quote. End footnote. Here, too, we may anticipate the dreadful sufferings of that state, quote, where shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, end quote, when rather that we should undergo them, quote, the Son of God, end quote, himself, who quote, thought it no robbery to be equal with God, end quote, consented to take upon him our degraded nature with all its weaknesses and infirmities, to be quote, a man of sorrows, end quote. Quote, to hide not his face from shame and spitting. End quote. to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and at length to endure the sharpness of death, even the death of the cross, that he might deliver us from the wrath to come, and open the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Looking unto Jesus Here best we may learn to grow in the love of God the certainty of his pity and love towards repenting sinners thus irrefragably demonstrated chases away the sense of tormenting fear and best lays the ground in us of a reciprocal affection and while we steadily contemplate this wonderful transaction and consider in its several relations the amazing truth that god spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all If our minds be not utterly dead to every impulse of sensibility, the emotions of admiration, of preference, of hope, and trust, and joy, cannot but spring up within us, chastened with reverential fear, and softened and quickened by overflowing gratitude. Footnote. See chapter 3, where these were shown to be the elementary principles of the passion of love. End footnote. Here we shall become animated by an abiding disposition to endeavour to please our great benefactor, and by a humble persuasion that the weakest endeavours of this nature will not be despised by a being who has already proved himself so kindly affected towards us. Romans 5, verses 9 and 10. Here we cannot fail to imbibe an earnest desire of possessing his favour, and a conviction founded on his own declarations thus unquestionably confirmed, that the desire shall not be disappointed, whenever we are conscious that we have offended this gracious being, a single thought of the great work of redemption will be enough to fill us with compunction. We shall feel a deep concern, grief mingled with indignant shame, for having conducted ourselves so unworthily towards one who to us has been infinite in kindness. We shall not rest till we have reason to hope that he is reconciled to us, and we shall watch over our hearts and conduct in future with a renewed jealousy, lest we should again offend him." to those who are ever so little acquainted with the nature of the human mind it were superfluous to remark that the affections and tempers which have been enumerated are the infallible marks in the constituent properties of love let him then who would abound and grow in this christian principle be conversant with the great doctrines of the gospel it is obvious that the attentive and frequent consideration of these great doctrines must have a still more direct tendency to produce and cherish in our minds the principle of the love of christ BUT ON THIS HEAD SO MUCH WAS SAID IN A FORMER CHAPTER AS TO RENDER ANY FARTHER OBSERVATIONS UNNECESSARY. MUCH ALSO HAS BEEN ALREADY OBSERVED CONCERNING THE LOVE OF OUR FELLOW CREATURES, AND IT HAS BEEN DISTINCTLY STATED TO BE THE INDISPENSABLE AND INDEED THE CHARACTERISTIC DUTY OF CHRISTIANS. IT REMAINS, HOWEVER, TO BE HERE FURTHER REMARKED, THAT THIS GRACE CAN nowhere BE CULTIVATED WITH MORE ADVANTAGE THAN AT THE FOOT OF THE CROSS. NOWHERE CAN OUR Saviour's DYING INJUNCTION TO THE EXERCISE OF THIS VIRTUE BE RECOLLECTED WITH MORE EFFECT. this is my commandment that ye love one another as i have loved you nowhere can the admonition of the apostle more powerfully affect us be ye kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as god for christ's sake hath forgiven you the view of mankind which is here presented to us as having been all involved in one common ruin and the offer of deliverance held out to all by the son of god's giving of himself up to pay the price of our reconciliation produce that sympathy towards our fellow-creatures which by the constitution of our nature seldom fails to result from the consciousness of an identity of interests and a similarity of fortunes pity for an unthinking world assists this impression our enmities soften and melt away We are ashamed of thinking much of the petty injuries which we may have suffered, when we consider what the Son of God, who did no wrong, neither was guile found in his mouth, patiently underwent. Our hearts become tender while we contemplate this signal act of loving-kindness. We grow desirous of imitating what we cannot but admire. A vigorous principle of enlarged and active charity springs up within us, and we go forth with alacrity desirous of treading in the steps of our blessed master and of manifesting our gratitude for his unmerited goodness by bearing each other's burdens and abounding in the disinterested labours of benevolence looking unto jesus he was meek and lowly of heart and from the study of his character we shall best learn the lessons of humility contemplating the work of redemption we become more and more impressed with the sense of our natural darkness and helplessness and misery from which it was requisite to ransom us at such a price more and more conscious that we are utterly unworthy of all the amazing condensation and love which have been manifested towards us, ashamed of the callousness of our tenderest sensibility, and of the poor returns of our most active services. Considerations like these, abating our pride and reducing our opinion of ourselves, naturally moderate our pretensions towards others. We become less disposed to exact that respect for our persons, and that deference for our authority which we naturally covet. We less sensibly feel a slight, and less hotly resent it. We grow less irritable, less prone to be dissatisfied, more soft and meek and courteous and placable and condescending. We are not literally required to practice the same humiliating submissions to which our blessed Saviour himself was not ashamed to stoop. Footnote. John 13, verses 13-17. If then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Etc. End footnote but the spirit of the remark applies to us the servant is not greater than his lord and we should especially bear this truth in mind when the occasion calls upon us to discharge some duty or patiently to suffer some ill-treatment whereby our pride will be wounded and we are likely to be in some degree degraded from the rank we had possessed in the world's estimation At the same time, the sacred scriptures assuring us that to the powerful operations of the Holy Spirit purchased for us by the death of Christ, we must be indebted for the success of all our endeavors after improvement in virtue. The conviction of this truth tends to render us diffident of our own powers and to suppress the first risings of vanity. Thus, while we are conducted to heights of virtue no otherwise attainable, due care is taken to prevent our becoming giddy from our elevation. Footnote see pascal's thoughts on religion a book abounding in the deepest views of practical christianity End footnote. it is the scripture characteristic of the gospel system that by it all disposition to exalt ourselves is excluded and if we really grow in grace we shall grow also in humility looking unto jesus quote, he endured the cross despising the shame End quote. while we steadily contemplate this solemn scene that sober frame of spirit is produced within us which best befits the christian militant here on earth we become impressed with a sense of the shortness and uncertainty of time and that it behooves us to be diligent in making provision for eternity in such a temper of mind the pomps and vanities of life are cast behind us as the baubles of children we lose our relish for the frolics of gaiety the race of ambition or the grosser gratifications of voluptuousness In the case even of those objects which may more justly claim the attention of reasonable and immortal beings, in our family arrangements, in our plans of life, in our schemes of business, we become, without relinquishing the path of duty, more moderate in pursuit, and more indifferent about the issue. Here also we learn to correct the world's false estimate of things, and to, quote, look through the shallowness of earthly grandeur, end quote. Footnote. Pope. End footnote to venerate what is truly excellent and noble though under a despised and degraded form and to cultivate within ourselves that true magnanimity which can make us rise superior to the smiles or frowns of this world that dignified composure of soul which no earthly incidents can destroy or ruffle Instead of repining at any of the little occasional inconveniences we may meet with in our passage through life, we are almost ashamed of the multiplied comforts and enjoyments of our condition when we think of him who, though, the Lord of glory, quote, quote, had not where to lay his head, and if it be our lot to undergo evils of more than ordinary magnitude, we are animated under them by reflecting that we are hereby more conformed to the example of our blessed master though we must ever recollect one important difference that the sufferings of christ were voluntarily borne for our benefit and were probably far more exquisitely agonizing than any which we are called upon to undergo besides it must be a solid support to us amidst all our troubles to know that they do not happen to us by chance that they are not even merely the punishment of sin but that they are the dispensations of a kind providence and sent on messages of mercy the cup that our father hath given us shall we not drink it blessed saviour by the bitterness of thy pains we may estimate the force of thy love we are sure of thy kindness and compassion thou wouldst not willingly call on us to suffer thou hast declared unto us that all things shall finally work together for good to them that loveth thee and therefore if thou so ordainest it welcome disappointment and poverty welcome sickness and pain welcome even shame and contempt and calumny If this be a rough and thorny path, it is one in which thou hast gone before us. Where we see thy footsteps we cannot repine. Meanwhile thou wilt support us with the consolations of thy grace, and even here thou canst more than compensate us for any temporal sufferings by the possession of that peace which the world can neither give nor take away. Looking Unto Jesus Quote, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. End quote. From the scene of our Saviour's weakness and degradation, we follow him in idea into the realms of glory where quote, he is on the right hand of God, angels and principalities and powers being made subject to him. End quote. But though changed in place, yet not in nature, he is still full of sympathy and love, and having died, quote, to save his people from their sins, end quote, quote, he ever liveth to make intercession for them, end quote. Cheered by this animating view, the Christian's fainting spirits revive. Under the heaviest burdens he feels his strength recruited, and when all around him is dark and stormy, he can lift up an eye to heaven, radiant with hope and glistening with gratitude at such a season no dangers can alarm no opposition can move no provocations can irritate he may almost adopt as the language of his sober exaltation what in the philosopher was but an idle rant and considering that it is only the garment of morality which is subject to the rents of fortune while his spirit cheered with the divine support keeps its place within secure and unassailable he can sometimes almost triumph at the stake or on the scaffold and cry out amidst the severest buffets of adversity thou beatest but the case of anaxarchus but it is rarely that the christian is elevated with this joy unspeakable and full of glory he even lends himself to these views with moderation and reserve often alas emotion of another kind fill him with grief and confusion and conscious of having acted unworthy of his high calling perhaps of having exposed himself to the just censure of a world ready enough to spy out his infirmities, he seems to himself almost, quote, to have crucified the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame, quote. But let neither his joys intoxicate, nor his sorrows too much depress him. Let him still remember that his chief business while on earth is not to meditate, but to act that the seeds of moral corruption are apt to spring up within him and that it is requisite for him to watch over his own heart with incessant care that he is to discharge with fidelity the duties of his particular station and to conduct himself according to his measure after the example of his blessed master whose meat and drink it was to do the work of his heavenly father that he is diligently to cultivate the talents with which god has entrusted him and assiduously to employ them in doing justice and showing mercy while he guards against the assaults of any internal enemy in short he is to demean himself in all the common affairs of life like an accountable creature who in correspondence with the scripture character of christians is quote, waiting for the coming of the lord jesus christ end quote. often therefore he questions himself am i employing my time my fortune my bodily and mental powers so as to be able to render up my account with joy and not with grief am i adorning the doctrine of god my saviour in all things and proving that the servants of christ animated by a principle of filial affection which renders their work a service of perfect freedom are capable of as active and as persevering exertions as the votaries of fame or the slaves of ambition or the drudges of avarice thus without interruption to his labours he may interpose occasional thoughts of things unseen and amidst the many little intervals of business may calmly look upward to the heavenly advocate who is ever pleading the cause of his people and obtaining for them needful supplies of grace and consolation it is these realizing views which give the christian a relish for the worship and service of the heavenly world and if these blessed images seen but through a glass darkly can thus refresh the soul what must be its state when on the morning of the resurrection it shall awake to the unclouded vision of celestial glory when to them that look for him the son of god shall appear a second time without sin unto salvation when sighing and sorrow being fled away When doubts and fears, no more disquieting, and the painful consciousness of remaining imperfections, no longer weighing down the spirit, they shall enter upon the fruition of quote, those joys which eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man to conceive, end quote. and shall bear their part in that blessed anthem quote, Salvation to our God which sitteth on the throne, and unto the Lamb, for ever and ever. Thus, never let it be forgotten the main distinction between real christianity and the system of the bulk of nominal christians chiefly consists in the different place which is assigned in the two schemes to the peculiar doctrines of the gospel these in the scheme of the nominal christians if admitted at all appear but like the stars of the firmament to the ordinary eye those splendid luminaries draw forth perhaps occasionally a transient expression of admiration when we behold their beauties or hear of their distances magnitudes or properties now and then too we are led perhaps to muse upon their possible uses but however curious as subjects of speculation after all it must be confessed they twinkle to the common observer with a vain and idle lustre and except in the dreams of the astrologer have no influence on human happiness or any concern with the course and order of the world but to the real christian on the contrary these peculiar doctrines constitute the centre to which he gravitates the very sun of his system The soul of the world the origin of all that is excellent and lovely the source of light and life and motion and genial warmth and plastic energy dim is the light of reason and cold and comfortless our state while left to her unassisted guidance even the old testament itself though a revelation from heaven shines but with feeble and scanty rays but the blessed truths of the gospel are now unveiled to our eyes, and we are called upon to behold and to enjoy, quote, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, end quote, in the full radiance of its meridian splendor. The words of inspiration best express our highly favored state, quote, we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, end quote. quote thou art the source and centre of all minds their only point of rest eternal word from thee departing they are lost and rove at random without honour hope or peace from thee is all that soothes the life of man his high endeavour and his glad success his strength to suffer and his will to serve but o thou bounteous giver of all good thou art of all thy gifts thyself the crown give what thou canst without thee we are poor and with thee rich Take what thou wilt away. End End of chapter 4, section 6